0: You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. When a government announces that it is finally giving the people what they want, that it's enacting a long overdue and almost universally popular policy, there's really only one thing to say in return as a citizen. That's great! But how? and when.
1: Speaking as your finance minister and as a working mother, we will get it done. High quality, early learning and childcare for an average of $10 a day.
0: That clip was our finance minister, Christia Freeland in April of 2021. And the how and the when have been evolving since then. First, The government had to make deals on that funding, separately, with every province and territory. Then, daycares had to make their own deals with the governments implementing those programs in every province and territory. Then, they had to figure out how to sign up those daycares and distribute the money and get a handle on the costs. But that's mostly paperwork, and it's mostly all done, and the framework is mostly in place. And yes, in some places, daycare is already much cheaper than it was before, but not everywhere, and not all the time, and not for everyone. That's because the last part of this plan is the toughest. Once it's all done on paper, then the children have to actually get cared for. And that means workers. Workers who are in short supply in many places owing to low wages, tough working conditions, and few benefits. Workers who often leave for a better job. And without enough people to do this work, there's still just not enough childcare, which means it's pretty tough to get access to everyone who needs it, regardless of how cheap it's supposed to be. So now what? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Emma Arkell is a freelance reporter based in British Columbia. She investigated the implementation of the child care policy foreshadowing. Hi, Emma.
1: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: You're welcome. I know this is kind of a complicated story that's been a long time coming. And I think a lot of parents who are listening to this are probably wondering where their $10 a day childcare is
1: yeah, that's a fair question to ask.
0: Maybe we could start with the initial federal announcement of, you know, okay, we're going to do $10 a day childcare. What did the government promise at that time? And and what were they going to provide to make it happen? Like, give us a sense of the journey from that.
1: Right. So in May of 2021, uh, as part of Budget 2021, the government, the federal government, announced uh, $10 a day childcare, uh, and this was sort of in response to a lot of the issues that parents, especially women and mothers, had been dealing with throughout the pandemic. When you know their childcare center may very well have closed uh, because of the lockdowns that we had in 2020. And a lot of people really struggled with that. They struggled to maintain their work schedules while they were also taking care of their children all day. And so the government announced this $10 a day childcare system, building out this universal childcare system, which uh, many governments have promised to do before and uh, none have really been successful. So there was this $30 billion dollar money put aside to be dispersed to the provinces so that every province could uh, sign on to these agreements and build out their childcare systems. And, you know, we're a year and a half uh, out from that and very much in the process of it.
0: Have all the provinces now signed on? Like, where are we at exactly in that process?
1: Well, this is going to be a long process. Um, I'm not sure if that was really made clear uh, when this was announced, but this is a, a really big undertaking. All of the provinces have signed on. I believe BC was the first uh, because here in BC, the provincial government has been working on this since uh, 2018. So they've gotten a few years of head start. I th- believe the last province to sign on was Ontario. Could be political reasons for that. So now we're in the process of uh, other provinces figuring out how exactly they want to do this.
0: So currently, outside of Quebec, uh, where childcare has always been very low cost to parents, is anybody getting ten dollars a day childcare right now, or is it just like, well, we've got the money and we've got to figure out how to make it happen still?
1: I mean, I think parents, more more and more parents all the time are getting access to uh, decreased childcare. Maybe it's not ten dollars a day yet. Because considering how much parents have been paying for decades, you know sometimes childcare costs uh, exceed rent and mortgage costs per month. You know people are uh, getting cheaper and cheaper childcare. I see, uh, you know just anecdotally, I see uh, people posting on social media all the time that. You know, they now are getting $900 off childcare a month. You know, that's a huge savings. But as I said, this is a very big undertaking. And so it's going to take a number of years before $10 a day childcare is widely available for parents.
0: In terms of actually making that access universal, What has traditionally been the big sticking point in expanding uh, this kind of cheap childcare across the country? Because, look, $30 billion is a lot of money. Um, One of the reasons we're talking to you, a labor reporter, is because money uh, doesn't do everything.
1: Yeah, the thing with the childcare sector is that uh, there have been issues in the workforce around retention for decades. Wages have always been very low in this sector. I think people would be shocked to find out just how low wages are. You know, it's around $26,000 a year, I think is the average across Canada. It's very difficult to, to live on that. There's also, you know, not a lot of childcare workers. Have extended healthcare benefits, have access to pensions. A lot of them feel as though there aren't necessarily a lot of career advancement opportunities in the sector. People who have that educational background, you know, experience working with young children, if they're working in childcare and then they look at their colleagues in the public education system who make much higher wages, who have access to a pension, who are represented by a union, who have health care benefits and other job benefits. It's, I think, difficult for a lot of them to stay in the sector when, you know, they could do similar work in the public education system and just have so much more stability in their lives.
0: I don't know if you know the answer to this question or not, but it's more of Philosophical one, I guess. Why have those two sectors been treated so differently? You know, what's different from educating a four year old at a preschool that magically changes to when you're educating a five year old in a kindergarten?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Obviously, childcare labor has been devalued because this is feminized labor, right? This is labor that is often expected of women that people you know maybe unconsciously still believe that women are just naturally better at and so yeah we we've really never seen a lot of uh, appreciation for childcare i think that's that's a very recent change maybe something that's changed with the pandemic is that people recognize how central childcare really is not only to our economy but to the development of children there's tons of research to back that up but i think largely because it's been associated with women and often with women of color, that this labor is just not appreciated and and not valued. How that differs from education, I think it's hard to say.
0: (laughs) Just to illustrate for the audience uh, what it can look like on the ground at a daycare center when there's lots of money, um, but money can't solve it. Can you tell us the story of Jen Carmen and her center back in 2017? What happened there?
1: Right. So Jen Carmen is the manager of a center that is run under the Stalo Service Agency uh, in what is known as Chilliwack, BC. And in 2017, you know, she was new to being a manager. She had worked in a lot of different roles at the center and had kind of worked her way up. And in 2017, they received a grant. To renovate their basement to open a bunch of new childcare spaces. And I think this is something that a lot of people would see as like an, an obviously good thing, you know, like why you can better serve your community, you can bring more kids in. But Jen was really worried because she knew that she had had a lot of issues finding childcare workers and, and keeping childcare workers. Um, and so, They went through with the renovations and those spaces were open for a while. The pandemic hits and the whole center closes for a bit, as many centers did across the country. And they struggled to reopen those spaces for years because they could not find the staff to work those spaces. You know, there was a lot of demand in the community, especially for infant and toddler spaces. Those are uh, typically very sought after, right, to get your kids into the childcare system from when they are very young but they really struggle despite being a center that you know offers benefits uh, that is very community focused that people will really feel very strongly about they still really struggle to find workers and that's a story that you find across the country there was a, a report recently out that looks at the childcare workforce in BC and 40% of employers were unable to fill a vacant position
0: What kinds of things have or haven't been tried to solve the staffing problem? You know, to your point, uh, in the last couple of years, we've realized how essential childcare is in the lives of so many Canadians. Have the provinces realized this and tried different tacks to get more people into this workforce?
1: Well all of the provinces I believe are looking at raising wages in some way. In some provinces you find wage grids that set very clear wages, you know, they set a wage floor so we know that everyone in the sector is being paid at least a certain amount. Um and then it goes up based on credentials and experience. Other provinces are on their way to a wage grid and are doing wage enhancements. And so that's you know an extra one to four dollars an hour if you have a certain credential. Um, those are also typically paid retroactively. Those those raises. Uh, a lot of provinces are also you know opening up more spots in childcare programs uh, at colleges and universities to you know get more people into the sector. And recruitment is very important. But I think what we really need to be looking at is retention. How do we keep people who are already in the sector from leaving, you know, for jobs in the public education system or just for other jobs entirely? When we improve retention, we will also make it easier for the people who are bringing in to stay in the sector. And I think that's that's really the key. And that's what the research that's being done in B.C. is showing.
0: One of the things you mentioned aside from uh, wages and benefits was a sense of career advancement. What does that look like in the childcare space? And when you talk to childhood educators, you know, what do they want to see from a career in the sector that they're not getting?
1: I think one thing is and it's connected to wages, it's it's seeing that if you do, you know, increase your uh, your credentials, you will earn more and you will earn significantly more. Right now in the sector, there's really no guarantee of that. And I think the differences between different credentials, what they're earning, uh, is is unclear uh, or is just not enough to encourage people to go back to school.
0: I realize this is always a dicey question, but given that spots are in such demand, what about changing the educator-to-child ratio, making it so more educators could cover more kids obviously safely and that would have to be ascertained but do you know what i'm saying like if we can't beat this just by throwing money at it how else can we do it
1: well money is always going to be appreciated right like yeah. the wages need to go up uh, there's really no debate about that some of the wage floors that we're seeing like in ontario i think currently the wage floor is $18 an hour it's it's very difficult to live on that and and that's not going to attract anyone to the sector. So we really need to be ambitious about our wage grids and also really aware of what inflation and the rising cost of living has done to people's wages. The wage floors that people were talking about in 2019 really don't make any sense in 2023. On top of Wages, you know, what we see is that benefits are really important in retaining workers, you know, so that can be paid sick days, which in a sector uh, where the work is so physical, both because you're working with children, you know, you're bending down to be at their level, you're picking them up, you're running after them, um, and also because you get sick a lot working with kids. Anyone who's worked with kids knows that in the fall and in the winter, there's a lot of viruses going around that's only gotten worse this year and so extended health benefits are essential paid sick days beyond you know provincial minimums are i would also say essential these things are going to keep people in the sector by preventing burnout and i think that's that's another key And so provincial programs that somehow incentivize employers to offer those benefits, I think, will be very helpful in keeping people in the sector.
0: Is it feasible, though, to tamper with those regulations? And how much do those regulations vary from province to province anyway, in terms of like educator to kid ratio? And listen, I am not uh, advocating for increasing it. I can't even care for one child myself. So I understand it's a job.
1: I've never heard anyone suggest that the ratios should be, you know, expanded so that there are more children per educator. I've never seen that suggested. I think as we're building out this system, which again is going to take a number of years, you know, we have, I think like a 10-year sort of uh, view of this. I think 10, 20 Thirty years is really what we should be looking at. This is a system that we should have. You know, this should become a permanent part of Canadian society, and so it's going to take a number of years to build that out. I think quality and ensuring the quality of childcare is a top of mind for educators and advocates. Um, and so, tampering with ratios at all—I've—I've I've never heard that put on the table. I think centers also have a good idea of what works for them. And that comes up in the piece, you know, at uh, Alamathau, the center that I I sort of profiled for this piece, they run at a higher educator to child ratio. So they have more educators in the room than the provincial minimums, because for them, that is what quality childcare is. Um, and so that, you know, I think will vary a little bit center to center and educator to educator. It it also depends on the group of children, right? We're we're talking about uh, little humans who have, you know, big personalities.
0: Big feelings.
1: Yes, exactly. And so, yeah, it's really about ensuring quality, just as it is about ensuring that, you know, as many people as possible have access to affordable child care.
0: The last thing I want to ask you about is, how the federal government will be involved over the next few years as this gets built out. You know, we've so far talked about their initial $30 billion investment. And then we've talked about, you know, finding ways for the provinces to incentivize people to join the workforce. Is the government doing anything to that end, the federal government? I mean, will they get involved uh, in in beefing up the workforce or are they sort of giving the money to the provinces and, and allowing them to just figure it out?
1: My understanding of their role right now is is really uh, as as the money people. <laughs> they're giving the provinces money in order to build out the system, and the provinces are figuring out the details. I think there are sort of standards in these agreements and ideas of like what we should be aiming for. But as far as I know, their role in figuring out some of those details is limited. So it's really about the provinces. Um, I think learning from each other and figuring out, you know, how to attract people to the field, that's a big issue, but really on how to retain the workers that we already have um, and and to make the field sustainable, not only for the people who are working in it right now, but for the people who will be working in the sector in five or 10 years.
0: Emma, thank you so much for this. And uh, it's good to know progress is being made. I guess patience is the watchword.
1: Yeah, definitely. Patience is going to be key. Patience and uh, advocacy for the workforce. Thank you for having me on.
0: Emma Arkell, writing in Chatelaine. That was The Big Story. For more from us, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. If you have suggestions on other federal policies that you'd like to see broken down from conception to implementation, I would love to hear them. I sometimes feel like I don't understand how these things our politicians announce actually work when we try to do them. So if there's something that you don't understand too, I would like to hear about it, and you know how you can do that. On Twitter, at FPN via email, hello at TheBigStoryPodcast.ca, and with a phone call and a voicemail, 416-935-5935. The Big Story is available in every podcast player. You can also find it on your smart speaker just by asking it to play The Big Story podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.